hearing God. I, I imagine that if uh, I were to survey every one of you, that to some extent or another, everyone or the vast majority would answer a resounding yes to the question or the idea of would you like to hear God? Uh, like, like, would you like to know that you know that you know that you know that this is God that is leading, prompting, whispering, speaking, um, directing you, yeah. right? Anyone? Anyone a little bit interested, a little bit hungry? I, I, I'm so aware that, um, and again, it's diff- different circumstances and, and, and things going on in our lives also play quite a big role, but, but I'm, I'm aware, as I've mentioned before, that on any given Sunday, there are so many of you sitting here with challenges, questions, maybe a crisis of faith, um, burdens. Uh, in some cases, you're facing what doesn't just feel like darkness. You might feel like you're facing a wall, and there's just no clear way to actually get through that wall. And, and on varying degrees, some, at some stage or another, we want to hear God. We want, to we want there to be a God, right? I don't know if anyone has ever been at the birth of their child and, and felt this overwhelming um, you know, sensation experience and just being so grateful for, a, for, for just this, this fluke of nature and how, like, you know, eventually this thing managed to kind of, you know, develop into what is, we want to be able to thank someone. We want to be able to acknowledge someone. Maybe you find that when you're out in nature and you're looking out over the sea or the mountain or the forest or you're at a quiet river, whatever it is, that works for you, and there's just something within us that I think that begins to well up, whether or not people recognize it as this or not, but there's a desire to want to acknowledge someone, a creator, God. I cannot overstate how important it is for us to hear God on the small everyday issues and obviously on the really big significant issues. Jesus even said in Matthew 4, verse 4, that people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We we don't just live on the material. It's easy to be distracted by the material. It's, It's easy to somewhat satisfy our appetites to a large extent with the material, but every one of us will face circumstances and situations in our lives where we need the word of God, where we need to know what God's will is. Pete Gregg, who wrote quite a few books on prayer, um, and he's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, which is um, kind of uh, an organization that encourages around the clock, 24, hour, 24 hours a day prayer in several countries around the world, wrote the following. Learning to hear God's voice is the single most important thing you will ever learn to do. The single most important thing you'll ever learn to do. I'm not exaggerating. Hearing God is not peripheral. It is integral to human history. And there are examples throughout history from, from Florence Nightingale to Mother Teresa to, to, to slavery uh, a, a, abolitionists to, to, in some cases, politicians. I know some of us want way more politicians that are actually hearing from God. Not the ones that think they are God and belong in an asylum. I mean, like people that are actually hearing God. Medical advancements, care, justice. There are so many things throughout history that have been influenced because of people actually hearing God. 
allowing God to stir their hearts, allowing God to help them see what He sees, and leading them to act upon that. It is not an optional extra for just the extreme, weirdo, wild-eyed, mystical Christians. This is something that is available to every personality, every age, every culture. This is for everyone, from everyday wisdom to our worldview, to our values, to our parenting, to how we handle things at work, to challenges that we have in relationships, to whether or not uh, God's you know, leading us towards studying something, so a particular career, or if, that, or if that path doesn't work out and we thought that this is where God's leading us and maybe you don't have the resources or your uh, home affairs status doesn't allow you to. Um, okay, God, what now? We, when we hit forks in the road, when we hit walls, we need to hear God. We need to be encouraged. We need to be taught. Some of you are mature enough to know that we need to be corrected. We need to be rebuked sometimes, like in a loving way, where God brings us back to what it is that he's calling us to do. We need to hear God. The most prayed prayer in Judaism, the most significant prayer in Judaism that, that, that all rabbis encouraged as a custom and that Jesus made reference to, in fact, we have it up on the wall over there part of it. One of the examples of Jesus' reference to this prayer, known as the Shema, is first found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 46, where the very first word is hear or listen. The, the term Shema actually means to hear or to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It is the most important commandment it is the highest priority. Jesus said the same thing. He's recorded in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only, is the one and only Lord. And you must love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Our forefathers cherished these verses. They would literally pray it every morning and every evening, twice a day, hear or listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. They would teach their children to hear that the Lord our God is one and that we are to love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. They would put them to bed, reciting and declaring this prayer. Hebrews would pray their last prayer with their dying breath. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, because these guys are far smarter than I am, pay attention to the screen for a few moments as the Bible Project guys explain a little bit more around the background of this prayer that we call Shema. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. 
It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. Okay, so now you've learned a little bit of Hebrew. I want, you, I want to bring your attention in particular to that concept of the two sides of the same coin. That it's not just being able to hear, it's being able to listen. It's not just listening, it's actually listening with the intent of obeying. In other words, it's not just another opinion that we add to a mix of 50 other opinions or 20 other opinions. We're saying, God, we actually believe that you are the one and only God. If you're the one speaking, it's not an opinion. It's not even a suggestion. And so I think when we, when we approach God with this heart, there is so much more openness to actually listening. And before we can love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, we need to listen. And it's only to the extent that we listen and then obey in our response in trying to increasingly love him, increasingly with our heart and soul and mind and strength. It's, it's, this, it's this constant, beautiful cycle that the more we trust and obey, the more we hear. And the more we love him with our heart and soul and mind and strength, the more we're able to discern. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that, that when you are removing some of the competing voices in our lives, some of the noise, some of the distraction, when, when we are spending more consistent time with Him, that we become more tuned in, as it were, that we feel more secure and more sensitive to His voice? 
I want to read quite a lengthy story. Some of you would be very familiar with it. Found in the book of Luke, and it's the story of two followers of Jesus. Some have even suggested maybe they were a couple. We don't know. We only, we only read about the one name. And this is taking place after Jesus has resurrected, but on the same day. Think about this. Think about this. For a few years, or maybe the last two years, or maybe the last year, maybe the last 18 months, depending on how long they've been following him, they had become convinced that he was the Messiah. The, the long-awaited Messiah who, who they'd been waiting for and who'd been prophesied for, for for hundreds, if not a couple of thousand years, they, they thought, maybe this is him. And then he had just been murdered on Friday. This is Sunday. They don't have the New Testament yet. I think it's quite a, quite a tense day, moment for these disciples. Read with me from verse 13. That same day, that's Resurrection Sunday, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. That's roughly 10 kilometers. For those of you that are really technical, it's 9.8. Jason the toy. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Okay? I I want you to imagine this picture. They're walking. They're walking. They're walking and they're talking. They They are processing, maybe even grieving, maybe asking questions, just they're talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. They didn't realize they were walking with Jesus. I just want to encourage you that sometimes, even though you may not realize it, God is walking with you. In this particular case, he kept them from recognizing Jesus. Is it possible that there are times where maybe God's not making everything clear that we would like, but that doesn't mean he's not close. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing? So intently as you walk along. Remember, Jesus never asks, God never asks a question for the purposes of information. It's to engage, just so you know. God's asking you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get us to acknowledge the answer. They stop short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. He's not being cruel. I don't know what he's being, but he's not being cruel. Okay? Is is it possible that sometimes God's trying to draw us in, that he's trying to get us to engage? What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. I just want to encourage you, if you're facing stuff, or maybe you're in a season of life where, where, for whatever reason, right or wrong, you're feeling like, God isn't providing or meeting you or undertaking or delivering in the way that you had hoped he would. They go on to say, then some women from our group of of his followers were at his tomb earlier this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. They're telling Jesus (laughs) that some of their women had gone 
had seen the empty tomb and came back with a report that the angels, that they had met angels who had declared that Jesus was raised from the dead. But just like many of us, when maybe we receive a message from God through other people, maybe we're just not that ready to receive it. And of course, because they were women 2,000 years ago, verse 24 goes and says, so then basically some of our men ran out to sea. And sure enough, they weren't dreaming. They weren't lying. They hadn't eaten too much pizza. His body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, God speaks through his word. We'll, we'll get into that next week. He is challenging them, reminding them. Again, he's not being cruel and nasty. He's like, guys, how did you, how have you forgotten that, that this picture that, that, we, that you had built up in your mind is not what? Scripture, up until then. So the Old Testament, up until then. It is not the picture that Scripture had painted. Again, it's so risky when we allow our own emotions, our own sentiment, our own worldview, our own preference to, to try and limit God into what we think will be the best answer, the best solution, when so much has actually been made clear to us in Scripture. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. Again, he's like, I think he had a sense of humor, okay? He's like, all right, guys, cheers. Probably knowing that they would invite him. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, then he broke it and gave it to them. And what a beautiful phrase. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. <laughs> Can anybody relate? You have this mountaintop experience, and there's like, oh, where's God on Monday? Yeah. Or you have this amazing quiet time in the morning, and then by the time you get to work or school, it's like, he's disappeared. Or at least you feel like that. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Father, I pray that as we even just take the next few moments in this message, and as we look at the series ahead, that you would help us to have a heart that actually wants to trust you. Lord, that you would help us have a heart that, that is committed to taking one step at a time, wanting to hear from the one and only true God. Father, pray that you would help us to check our motives and to, and to actually align our motives with yours, where we're not just wanting to hear for information's sake or to see you know, how, how it measures up against other wisdom or other opinions, but God, that we would want to listen for the sake of obedience. God, would you open our eyes, help us to recognize you, help us to recognize your voice in Jesus' name. Verse 32 says that they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? In other words, they're saying like there was a sense they couldn't quite name it, they couldn't quite explain it, but, but there was like something resonating with them. And then, listen to this, within an hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. So, so they, they didn't wait until morning. It's already nighttime. They've already walked the 10 kilometers. They raced back to Jerusalem. 
There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. In other words, again, there was a response. So they've, they've, they've had a revelation. They've had Jesus walking with them, speaking to them, unpacking scripture to them, something inside of them resonating with this, and then him opening their eyes. And they didn't just keep it to themselves. There was a response. There was an obedience. God, I believe, is often closer than what we realize, and I think he is often in the process of communicating. The question for us is, do we have ears to listen? I think to the extent that we are willing to listen is to the extent that we will actually hear him. It's the extent to which he will be able to communicate with us. Getting practical for a few moments, although this series will be all about different ways that God speaks and different ways for us to actually work at hearing and listening. The first, which is pretty obvious, I believe, is to simply position ourselves to hear God. This is so obvious and so practical that I think we often just become numb to this. And, and maybe, maybe subconsciously, I think, I think that there are many of us that can so easily just almost abdicate any role that we play, saying, well, if God wants to speak to me, he'll get my attention. And, and the thing is, God is so gracious that there may be moments like that, but if that is the only type of relationship you have with God, it is an exceptionally shallow relationship, and I can pretty much guarantee you that he's not your Lord. If, if it's all on him, and if, and if he has to part the heavens and echo and boom and confirm it in 17 different ways, there's a good chance that he's not my Lord. I'm not following him and seeking him as my Lord. Jesus said the following, recorded in John 10, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Isn't it beautiful to know that you don't have to have a degree in theology, in doctrine, in hermeneutics, you don't have to go to Bible college, you don't have to go to, uh, to seminary. In fact, for, for a huge part of history, the average human being didn't even have access to the written scriptures. We have it available to us in more languages than, than in any other moment in history. We have, people have more access than ever before. But the question is, do we recognize his voice? If he is increasingly our Lord, we will increasingly be able to recognize his voice. But we have to position ourselves to hear him. Before we put this verse up on, on the screen, some of you will be familiar with what has often been quoted from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. This is when, this is when the Israelites have been taken captive, and, and God's basically saying to them, you're going to stay in captivity for 70 years. Um, but then this, this beautiful phrase is recorded where God says to them, but I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. It's a great verse. If you go to a Christian bookshop, you'll probably find it on a mug or on the cover of a, a journal. It's a great verse. But, but we can so easily take it out of context. We can so easily forget that he was speaking to them and saying, I'm not going to remove you from this right now, but I'm still with you, and I will still hear you. He then goes on in verse 13 to say, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So he's still putting, to some extent, the responsibility back on them. I'm not going to deliver you right now. I'm going to be with you where you are. I do have a plan for you, I do have a hope and a future, but you also get to play a role in this. As you seek me, 
you will find me. There are some ways that we can position ourselves to hearing God. Many of them are, are obvious to people that have been in church for a long time, some maybe less common, but things like solitude or, or what if you grew up in church, we would have referred to as a quiet time where we're just taking some consistent time out. I will always emphasize that you rather, rather, rather aim for as small a portion of time or as small a portion of scripture as you are likely to be able to do consistently than then aim for some massive blocks of time and huge portions of scripture that you are likely to do once a month. That consistency is so much more important where, where we are tuning in as we position ourselves through reflecting on scripture, through prayer. And again, we'll talk about these things in the weeks ahead. I think that another way for us to position ourselves is through acts of service. And through, in many cases, commit, committed areas of service. I think that a lot of the time, we, what we're doing when we are serving is we're actually, we're actually going to where Jesus is, in a sense. In fact, one of Jesus' last recorded words in Matthew 28, what has become known as the Great Commission, was him saying to, to go and to preach the good news and to make disciples and to baptize. And, and as you do, as you go, I will be with you. That's not to say that he's not with you when you're at home alone, but I think that there is a different type of guaranteed encounter with God when we are doing things that we, where we know he is, when he's loving others, serving others, sharing with others. There is something about serving that positions us. I, I would argue that I've probably heard, if, if I look at, at different areas in my life in terms of where I have sensed God's voice and his burdens and his and, and hope and even and even trying to understand things, I would say that the vast majority of that has come through serving. The vast majority of that has come through tensions and challenges and 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 trying to to serve and be of value and far more so than if I was just ultimately living for God, bless me, help me, serve me. Maybe you've heard that analogy of, in fact, there was a book written on this. I'm not sure it needed a whole book, but, but, this, but of this metaphor of cat and dog theology, where if you feed your dog, give your dog affection, look after your dog, it'll look at you and think you're the master, right? And appreciate you as the master. If you feed your cat, give your cat attention, Look after your cat. It'll think it's the master. That's why they're evil, and that's why dogs are godly, right? So here's the question. In your relationship with God, who's the master? Is he there to serve my, my needs, my desires, or am I there to get onto his agenda, to get onto what he cares about? I think another way that we position ourselves is through community. Relationships are a significant way, for better and for worse. For better and for worse. For better and for worse. Yeah. Relationships, community, life groups, teams, are a way that God can speak to us. Teaching, things like Sundays and life group, podcasts, books. Be selective, because there's a lot of rubbish out there, but, but these are ways that God absolutely uses to speak to us. Worship is a, 
is a wonderful way to position ourselves to hear God. I could even see, just, just I stood at the back during worship this morning, I could see people that were engaging with God. Not because of the team, but because there's a, there's a resonance with some of the words that were being spoken, sung, declared, repeated. There is something about, there's something about music that because, and, and again, for some of us, you might feel like, ugh, like we've said this already, and we're repeating the same line. I would argue that it's only through repetition. It's through repetition. Meditation is by definition repetition. I am repeating my focus. I am chewing on this truth. I, I imagine that there were some of you during worship that were hearing God, whether it was in the, the gentlest way of just encouraging you. When you're singing, He is my firm foundation, He is my champion. But there are ways for us during the week to also listen to a worship song. Or if you don't have access to music, maybe you read a psalm that just declares the goodness of God. That's all part of worship. And then the one that not too many people get excited about is fasting is another way that we position ourselves. And we're going to be talking about that in the future. If you're in a life group, you better stay in the life group because we're going to be tackling fasting a month from now. We're starting with our leaders this evening. We position ourselves. Please can I encourage you not to get mad at God for not speaking if you're not willing to listen and if you're not willing to position yourself to actually hear Him. And, and, and God is kind enough that, that if you're not generally open and then there's an emergency and you call out, I think God is gracious and kind enough that in, that in some cases, if not many cases, God will speak to a person. But I also have been around long enough and walked with enough people to see an enormous difference generally speaking, in those that are able to hear God in the crisis, in the worst moments of their lives. It is, it is, there's a staggering contrast for me, for people that have been in the habit of tuning into God, trying to hear God, and those that are now suddenly trying to hear Him. Again, this isn't about how kind of, God is kind and gracious, but I wanna encourage you, imagine if you already are in the habit, you've already got your ears, the muscles are, attuned for us to actually be able to hear God. I do want to encourage you that personality matters. What I mean by this is that, is that we don't um, only just have personality differences, although I think that, that plays a huge role, but, but some have even argued that there are spiritual temperaments, which I think are very much connected to our personalities, where, where there are different ways for us to, to actually sense God or experience God or hear God. For some people, the worship that we had this morning is just, it's just, it's just so easy. It's like the bullseye for you to just be with God. Or you open scripture and it's like, boom. For others, it's maybe being out in nature where, where you're away from some of the noise and the hustle and the bustle. For others, it might be as you are doing something. You're an activist. You, you, as you are serving or as you are um, fighting for a cause that you know is close to the heart of God, or maybe you're an intellectual and you want to be able to, to understand and read. There are different ways. The point I'm trying to make is don't, don't limit yourself to one personality type. Don't limit yourself to one expression necessarily. Now, I do also want to say that even though we may be drawn towards certain uh, ways because of our personality or positioning, positioning ourselves, that doesn't mean that we should ignore the others. Like if you're saying, hey man, I'm just... I'm just, I, I'm, I'm clearly into nature. I hear God in the waves. I don't, need to read this, I don't need to read scripture. 
I don't need community. I don't need church. I'd say you're probably going to have a slightly imbalanced, one-dimensional bend in what you think is your hearing of God. So, so there are. It's important for us to know what is what is our natural default. Um, but it's okay for there to also be discipline. For most people, not all, but for, for most people to spend regular time with God, just reflecting on Scripture, praying or trying to hear, for most people, that will take discipline. It's okay for it to take discipline. If you want to read a little bit more about some of the different types, there's a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways, where he unpacks nine different types. Then, I would say, so we have to position ourselves, personality matters, then we have to protect our hearts and soul and mind and strength. I would argue that we need to beware the speed, pace, and overstimulation. Beware speed, space, and overstimulation. We have more access to the Bible and to, and to learning materials than ever before, but we also have more access to noise ever before. And sometimes it's even good stuff. Sometimes, sometimes it's even good books. It's even good, it could be good podcasts. It could be just, just be discerning as to whether or not you're living at the pace, whether or not there's enough space, and whether or not you are just skimming and, and you are living overstimulated where it's so hard to, to actually receive anything. Another idea that I'd love for you to write down is to turn down the noise of the world and tune into the voice of the Lord. That's also partly what fasting does for us, by the way. In fact, massively, like painfully so. But that's also what certain limits do for us, what abstaining from certain things. So, so for example, where, where we try and practice digital boundaries, where maybe we switch off devices at a certain time at night, and you don't switch it on in the morning until you've spent some time with God where we actually prioritize scripture before phone. I can see some of you shaking at the idea. And D Jason, did you say put your phone off? Okay, you can do flight mode. Which again, if that causes you to break out in a sweat, there's a good chance that you have some noise to, to tone down. And then lastly, to persevere. To persevere. Sometimes God speaks to us quickly. Sometimes he's quiet. I just want to remind you that many believers throughout history have gone through what, what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Or what David referred to in Psalm 23 verse 4 as a dark valley. Again, if we know Scripture, we're going to be less disillusioned. We can only be disillusioned if we were illusioned to begin with. But if we know that challenges, silence from God sometimes, mystery is, is a part of trusting Him, we're going to be less discouraged, less disillusioned when we're not hearing from Him clearly. Is it possible that God is allowing something to take place in us in that season of quiet, in that season of suffering, in that season of mysteries, is it possible that he's trying to turn the soils of our heart? And just frankly, sometimes we're just not ready. 
In fact, often, we're just not ready. And that's, again, that shouldn't be a source of shame. That should be a source of, okay, God, what can I do to position? What, what, what do I need to protect? How, how do I need to maybe lessen some of the noise in my mind, in my heart, in my emotions? Psalm 40, verse 1, also a Psalm of David, said, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord is the first part. The next part is, he turned to me and heard my cry. But it starts off with, by the way, he wouldn't have needed to wait patiently on the Lord if the Lord had spoken to him immediately the first time he reached out to him. I waited patiently on the Lord. I mean, if it were me writing this, I, just to be clear for everyone, I'd, I would add in the word eventually. Eventually, he turned to me and heard my cry. Although, although God not answering you doesn't mean God is turned away from you. Just to be very clear. I, the, the older I get, the older my kids have gotten, and the, and the stronger and healthier our relationship is, the more, I, the, more, the, more, the more I value their comfort in us just being quiet, just being together. Sometimes they really appreciate it when I'm quiet. <laughs> Actually, often. <laughs> it's quite hurtful. <laughs> when God does answer, so we're persevering, right? When God does answer, it might be yes, which is wonderful. That's the part we like. It could be no, not now. Or it could be no, I have something better. But if we are followers of Jesus, there will always be an answer. It's just a question of timing. And again, is he Lord that we're willing to hear whatever it is that he says to us? Keep persevering and positioning yourself to be with God. Eugene Peterson has just got some beautiful ways of describing different concepts. And I love the following quote from his book, Traveling Light. He says, the person who looks for quick results in the seed planting of well-doing will be disappointed. If I want potatoes for dinner tomorrow, it'll do me little good to go out and plant potatoes in my garden tonight. Craig Rochelle puts it this way. We tend to overestimate what we can achieve in a short period, and we tend to underestimate what we can achieve over a long period. So my encouragement, if you want to learn to hear the voice of God on a consistent basis, as a, as a normative part of your life, is to position ourselves consistently, regularly. We are protecting our hearts, minds, strength. By the way, protecting our strength, sometimes, not sometimes, often, we'll be able to tune into God better if we're getting more sleep. I find when I'm tired, it is much harder. I feel like everything's just more muddy. So it's, it's hard. It's our emotions. It's our soul, our mind, will, and it's, it's, our, it's our minds. It's our strength. Let's, let's try and position and protect ourselves as we take our personalities into account, but we persevere in trying to hear God because the key to hearing God before anything else is a willingness to listen, a willingness to trust, and a willingness to obey. Agreed? Come on, when you stand with me.